0: Welcome back. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show episode 415. I am your host, Bob Wallenspiel, alongside producer Randy Walker. Guest this week, Dave Spees. He's with Rollbar. We're gonna be talking about code remediation automation. Did I do that right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's close enough for now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just wanted to find something that rhymed. You can find us online, it in the D Do us a favor, give us a like on the socials, subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. If you missed us last week, we were at Whiskey in the Jar and Ham Tramic. I think we have one more in yes, the, uh, the three game series with them. Uh next month, third Thursday. Find us uh at meetup.com slash it in the D to subscribe and keep in tune with where we will be drinking. That was a long night, and I hope it never happens again. I'll just throw
2: that out <laughs> for <you. laughs>
0: For sure. But we were... Uh, Randy, I know uh, Dune is the word. Uh, Dave, did you watch Dune? I have not. Um, I have not, actually. No. I've been making Tremors jokes and uh, Ricardo Maltoban jokes, and everybody's like, no, Bob, that's not the right movie. No. Uh, <laughs> Tremors was with... Uh, The dad from Family Ties, you know, Um, but I heard Dune was kind of uh, awesome.
2: Yeah, it was great. Uh, I only watched it on HBO Max. I I regret not seeing it the first time in the theater, but I think I'm going to go back to the theater and watch it a second time just because that is definitely a big screen movie. The bummer is that it's only part one and they haven't actually confirmed part two yet. They split the book in half. So, now that my
0: daughter works at Imagine, I, I'm going to get free, I get free movie passes.
2: There you go, perfect. I tried to tell her the straw hack. Did I ever tell you that, Randy? Oh yeah. where you uh, put your butter deep down in your popcorn?
0: No, no, no. So you take four straws in the corners of your popcorn bucket, yeah, and then the butter you put into the straw.
2: Right. Yeah. So and then the you slowly
0: gets- pull the straw yeah. out, and then you get an immersed butter experience. And my, my, first, my daughter calls me a pig. Second, she's like put butter in it three, four times as I'm filling it that, you know, and, and you're not allowed to do that. To imagine I go, that's why I'm not going to go to, I'm going to go to AMC where you can. So,
2: yeah, it's interesting. Which theaters allow which items to be self-serve. Like imagine just gives you the, uh, the flavored seasonings, but not the butter, but. Have you guys gone to MJR? They serve foods. I don't go to MJR because I hate the clapping. Oh, that's, okay. <laughs> that's why I go. It's the clapping, and they don't have the uh, Coke freestyle like imagine an AMC do. So, I'm a huge Melody Zero fan. I think, it's just I think it's
0: because people are pigs, Randy. The less self serve you can give people, the better. It's probably the good point. Yeah, yeah. So, Dave, I knew you from VMware days. Went over to Roll Bar. Talk to me about what you're doing today, and then we'll we'll dive in a little deeper.
1: So, uh, yeah, I was I was at VMware, but uh, it was the the former Pivotal Group that I was with the the Tanzu team there and uh, my my boss actually recruited me to come back to a startup which i haven't done in 20 years so very excited about it uh, rollbar is a code remediation software you you interject our sdk into your library whatever you're you're building your app in and angular or react or java or javascript or what have you and <clears throat> we'll tell you where your errors are and uh we'll tell you who wrote those errors uh, what version, what deploy it came in. So unlike a logger, where you have to sift through millions of lines of logs, which we all love to do as IT people, especially programmers, uh, instead it will literally tell you exactly where that code is, which file, which microservice. And if you've linked into GitHub or GitBlame, it'll tell you who wrote it, which is always entertaining. Uh, and uh, it's it's really mm-hmm. a phenomenal piece of software.
0: So are the, every QA person that's listening crying right now or is this an uh, augment to their life or I guess where does this play?
1: So it's, it's a good question. Um, most of our customers use it in production because it eliminates the finger pointing. So um, I've been in IT now for 27, almost 28 years. And there's always when something's down, there's always a finger point, right? If you think about it, we've had monitoring and uh, like uh, application performance monitoring software for years, but really all that software does is tells you an indication of how something is performing. And it still points back to the infrastructure. These are really all infrastructure tools. Splunk, and Data Dima- or, uh, DataDog, or AppDynamics, those are really still infrastructure tools. They'll sell you, okay, well, the app's performing bad because uh, the CPU is high, or maybe there's a bad query that it's pointing to and you can see that the RAM is high or the disc is high or something along that line. This is really the first kind of software that will say, using AI, by the way, this is the exact error that has occurred. It will fingerprint it. And then every time that error occurs again, instead of getting another alert where you get alert fatigue, let's say you have a million users, it will literally say it's happened a million times and so that way you can start to prioritize. So if the errors only happen once or twice, no big deal. But if it's factoring twenty thousand or a million users, probably should work on that first. And along that line, it'll link into all of your uh, infrastructure tools like ServiceNow or you know Datadog or, or all these other tools, so that you can again, if you have an operations team, you can you can start to see where it is. But more importantly, you know exactly where it came from, and you can immediately
0: look at it and get it
1: remediated
0: so i'm going to ask it again are qa uh, people listening to this crying right now
1: no they should love it because it should should absolutely you can absolutely automate your qa process so most qa process still revolves around uh, assurance testing with users well users don't catch everything first of all and second of all they don't know what's really wrong they just know it's not working right and you've We've all been, hopefully, at some point in time in your career, you might have been on help desk. Somebody calls in, well, it's not working. Well, what's not working? I don't know. It's just not working. Okay, do you have an error code? Oh, I clicked off of that. Okay, well, that doesn't help you, does it? And and at the end of the day, everything's code, even operating system, even hardware, hardware, firmware, that's all code. So this will literally tell you where the problem is in the code, so you can actually go and remediate it quick.
0: So last episode, we had Mary on. Obviously I'm not, I'm not a dev, I'm infrastructure. Um, so, you know, but I know enough to be dangerous or at least to know enough to have a conversation about it. She is the, uh, the agile, um, goddess of the planet. And so where does this tie in to, I mean, this ties into perfectly right into the agile process. I would assume because if it's in production or if you're you're doing a wealth, the code's being written, the air is being shown. Um, live in real time. I guess, talk to me about where that falls in in that process.
1: It's, it's gonna fall in your entire CICD pipeline, right? So it is really gonna help you with your continuous improvement and your continuous development of what you are building. Again, if you think about it, developers, I mean, all IT people as a whole are highly paid individuals in a company, but developers in particular are extremely high paid. And what you want them to do is you want them to come out with new features, new functions. Uh, You wanna drive usage based upon your user base. You don't want them sitting around for hours or days doing RCAs or digging through millions of lines of code. In fact, if you think about it, developers are one of the most mobile uh, population of employees globally doesn't matter where you live. You can work anywhere as a developer. So if you think about satisfaction of jobs, one of the worst things you can do is say, I need you to nail this down and figure out why this isn't working by sifting through infrastructure products to figure it out. Oh, there's a 505. There's a 404. That doesn't really tell you anything, right? So if you really think about it, if you're an agile uh, coach or there's a new term out that's a developer advocate because people are trying not to lose their valuable assets, which are the people, right? The programmers. And you can say, look, on average, our developers only spend 15 minutes maybe finding a code error to fix it. And the rest of the time you're developing new features. That's a place I want to work. So you can really fit this in the entire CI/CD pipeline, especially as you said, QA. And yeah. then Once you roll something out, you you never catch everything until it's in production. But when it's in prod, you definitely you're going to raise all your customer satisfaction scores immensely.
0: Now, here's the stupidest question I'm going to ask probably all year: um, How do you know what's wrong?
1: So, a couple of different things. If you, if, um, and again, I haven't been a programmer for let's just say at least twenty years, and actually I spent a lot of time in infrastructure as well, but. If you're using Java, JavaScript, C-sharp, um, all these different languages have an ability to throw error codes or exceptions. Now, exceptions come in two different types, handled and unhandled. So the API that we use will, um, will will take those errors, will ingest those errors, and then we fingerprint it. Okay, So we already know what the error is, and then we know what line of code it was generated from and then we can hand it back to you. It literally takes less than two seconds.
0: Interesting. It's you a know, different approach. Yeah, no, because I'm trying to get my head wrapped around that. So who checks the checker then? <laughs> I'm gonna keep that until I figure this out. If if we weren't
1: just doing this with audio, I can actually show you, but essentially if, when you look in the portal or the API, it will tell you this file, this line, and if you've linked in with, with GitHub, and if you have Git blame on, it will tell you this version, this deploy, and here's who wrote it.
0: So, is so it using machine learning and seeing what's right, what's good and what's bad. And then it's constantly evolving and learning. And then correct. it checks upon the check that that's what it checks the checker in essence. Right, right.
1: so we, you can also service link it out. So you can take the, uh, the XML and then point it out to like, Google is a good example, right? So you're not sure how to fix this error. Well, you're not the only one who's had this error before probably. And so you can delete, click on it and it'll take you right to a Google article and say, here's how you fix that code. Here's the syntax error you have.
2: So what's
0: the, um, I always love this story. I, I first, I got introduced into, I worked for a machine learning uh, security event uh, logger. Mm-hmm. And we, basically it was a, you could, if you had 10 people as a stock analyst, it, you could shrink it down to one. Um, and repurpose them, you know, I, I never, you know, have them doing other things in the security stack, right. Other than being, a, what's the, uh, what's the story here? I'm just curious. As far as security goes? No, 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 no. In terms of what's the, what's like the value proper? What's the, uh, is it a labor savings? Is it a, uh, time to time to market quicker? Uh, so
1: first of all, your, your releases are going to expand dramatically because your, your valuable assets aren't sifting through error codes all day long, instead should be doing what they should be doing, which is creating, creating new code, creating new features, etc. So your releases are going to increase dramatically. Number two, your errors should go down dramatically, because you're going to be catching them in staging and QA and dev, hopefully before it's pushed out in production. Number three, your customer satisfaction scores are going to go up dramatically, because it, did you know that I don't know if you know this, but Gartner and Forrester both have the same statistic: eighty-eight percent of all code errors are caught by the users still, to this day. Right. So nobody likes this. There's competition for everything. So let's let's use the uh, the delivery services to you know drop off bourbon to me when I'm drinking right now or or food. There's what eight, nine, ten different competitors. And if I go to one and I throw errors, I'm just going to pull up the other one and order the same thing. So people are less patient with errors because they expect everything to work the first time. So if you're in a, especially if you're in a very uber competitive market, and I should have used the term Uber, but hey, why not? Uh, it is an incredibly uh, you know, competitive market. And if you are not throwing errors at your customers, you're going to win, especially when you're adding new features.
0: Now I always I like love this too. Like, you know, why the hell isn't everybody using it?
1: So interestingly, most are. Uh, we okay. have six thousand customers.
0: We have thirty-five
1: thousand developers using it actively. So if you think about the users that are in there right now, and our customers, customers, we have over three hundred and fifty million end users. So. Let me, let me turn, the, turn it around for a second. Your end users, what are they using? Well, they're using laptops, mostly using phones now. So if, if you think about traditional software that's monitoring the stack, right, the infrastructure stack, if there's a problem on the handset, how do you know? They call in, that's it. We literally will deploy with, the, with your app that you deploy. And so not only do we know that there's been a problem on the handset, but we know exactly who had the problem. Now you can anonymize that, which you definitely want to do, right? You don't want to have somebody's email address or username, but you can send a, you know, some type of other primary key back where it's unidentifiable to us, but but to you it makes it something. And so again, you can then quantify how big of a problem this has become and how quickly you need to remediate and maybe push out an update.
0: So you say startup, then you say... A- 350 million. Uh, I'm just being
1: funny. We we are in series B right now and and hopefully doing series A here in a few months, I would hope. Okay.
0: So how did you get, uh, get sucked into being a dirty sales guy after being an engineer for all these years?
1: <laughs> you know, uh, fun story. So uh, I was asked to move to Europe for two to five years while I was working at Verizon. Uh, this is when... Uh, Verizon, at the time, had the number one cloud product, which still was ranked higher than Amazon. And we bought Terramark, which is also in the Magic Quadrant.
2: Sure.
1: And I moved over there to help the Nestle team build out their PaaS and SaaS product, which I did for over two years. And uh, when I got done with it, I got a little nice pat on the back and said, thank you. And the sales guy came in in a brand new Ferrari the next month. <laughs> and I, uh, I know how to buy lunch. So, uh, maybe I should learn that one skill that I need apparently to become a sales guy.
0: Where were you, uh, where were you at in
1: Europe? I was based in Reading, England, which is about 30 miles outside of, uh, of London. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I was flying to Amsterdam or,
0: or, uh, Geneva about every week. I'm surprised you came home. A lot of people I hear, uh, when they go there, they stay.
1: Uh, you know, I, I would have stayed, but I have three kids. and so. Ah.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, usually it's the, uh, I was going to say either, hopefully you don't, you know, or not hopefully, but, you know, either you're not married or, you you know, one, no, one of the two.
1: We took two of the three kids over. In fact, uh, we were offered to have our kids go to an American or an international school. And we said, you know, hey, while in Rome, do as the Romans do, sure. you know, as the Vandals do. And uh, we we stuck our kids in English schools and
0: they absolutely loved it at least you didn't bring back the accent i have two friends that did automotive engineering came back 2 years later and literally were like thick accent i'm talking like brad pitt in snatch accent and i'm like <laughs> who are you man they had
1: i will get in, in trouble by using this term but they had the pikey accent ah yeah which, uh, which is, a, is a derogatory term apparently in europe but it was in snatch so i'll use it
0: and then uh, Nuri, that was on the podcast for years and years and years. he was in New Zealand now, working for AWS. And I called him not too long ago, and I'm like, "Thank you for maintaining your uh, your dirty Midwestern American accent."
2: You know, well, he's got to keep that for the voiceovers. He does
0: precisely. So
1: it's interesting. If, if you know Europeans will will give Americans grief because they won't know what the capital of Ukraine is. By the way, is Kiev. Or, or where Estonia is or something else that we don't know anything about.
0: But That's then you where – uh, I was okay. going to make an Encino Man joke. Exactly. That's where Estonia, is that, where they said uh, uh, Brendan Fraser from. <laughs> there, there you go.
1: But you, if you ask any European, they only know that there's New York, Florida, and California. The rest of the U.S. is apparently Texas. So
0: You've seen that like hand-drawn kid's map of like what Europe thinks – you know, it's like that's where milk is, and that's like Wisconsin. You know, and Texas <laughs> is like really half the country. Yeah, I mean, I
1: mean, to be fair, I mean, when you, when you're working out of New York, maybe they don't
0: know where Ohio is or, or Michigan either. Like, I have family. Oh, yeah, from
1: you're from Cincinnati. I've friends in Kansas City. Do you right. know? Her? No, it's like dude, no. I have I family. Uh, I
0: have family from Germany. I'm not even kidding. They're like we're in North Carolina. Why don't meet? Why don't you meet us up for lunch tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, they don't get well, the be...
2: scale of how big
0: they yeah. are here. Because think about this. My cousins, when they were in their, their late 20s or mid-20s, they would go clubbing. and They lived in Stuttgart, Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, go all night till 6 in the morning, hop in the train. Um, it was like an hour and a half, two-hour train, and they would have brunch in Paris.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they would go shopping, and they'd be home by, by like late lunch.
1: Right. Okay. But you can sleep on those trains. Oh, you can, yeah. You can't sleep while you're schlepping it from... Uh... From Detroit over to Chicago.
0: Well, that's that would be like the I, I, I joke. I that's the equivalent of going, "Hey guys, I want to go brunch in Cleveland tonight," and they were like, "Cleveland, Cleveland, why would we go there?"
1: I mean, to be fair, nobody wants to brunch in Cleveland, just in general. I mean,
0: actually, that's a. I think they're underrated. I used to. I actually did a ton of work in Cleveland, Pittsburgh um had a black you know how we do it this was our it's gonna go it's gonna stick with me for the rest of my life when you go to when you go to strange town or go to someplace you've never been you go on Yelp. you search dive bar you sort by lowest rating and then you Mm -hmm. start there absolutely yeah Yeah, i you know
1: i've lived in cincinnati i've lived in new york i've lived outside of london uh you know you kind of make fun of cleveland just in general but you know it is actually a fun town
0: No, it is. We found, uh, but it's funny though, like they used to have the flat, not to get into Cleveland talk too much, but they like the flats and then they had yeah. the warehouse district and then the flats went away and then the warehouse district went away. And, you know. The flats went away apparently. Yeah, now they, like the Great Lakes Brewing, there's like a district there. We went to some Norwegian heavy metal bar. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. <laughs> so what's, uh? I guess, roll. what's next on for the roll bar in terms of like, you know, perfect customers obviously a dev shop. What's uh, what what's what's coming up on the horizon? What's uh, you know,
1: so it's it's interesting who's adopting it, right? So developers uh, very much love us, and then the teams that are sorting to adopt us very quickly are observability teams. So if you think about it, um, a lot of these companies have adopted things like uh, AppDynamics or Splunk or Datadog or New Relic. Um, but those are really infrastructure tools and these operational observability teams are very much. Now what's, what's a, that's, that's a new
0: phrase to me, observability team. What, what, I mean, what is that?
1: There's a lot of teams out there now that you would think of traditionally as kind of monitoring operations or tools, operations teams, and they've, they've rebranded themselves as observability. And so
0: more I'm, important to the operate, to the COO, is that why I'm just. Actually, concerned. they're actually one
1: of my customers literally calls themselves the office of the COO, which is the observability office, which. OK, I mean, um, sure. right now, actually, I think it's a great term, by the way, but it, it was new to me. But what they're doing is they're now putting some of this app monitoring within that group. Now, tr- most of the people in those groups are still infrastructure people, right? Um, and again, no slight against infrastructure people. I was an infrastructure person for almost 20 years. But uh, you're looking at different things. You're typically looking at, you know, is there a processor spike? Is there, you know, a, a query that's that's stuck or, or, or something along that right. line? You're not looking specifically at code or maybe the sand is overwhelmed, something like that, or networks. Or yeah. But now, if you think about it, as an infrastructure person, I would have loved this product. 10, 15 years ago, because inevitably developers, nobody can see me because I've, you know, you're not on camera, they point, they're like, oh, it's the network. It can't be my code. Oh, it's it's the server. It's not my code. Meanwhile, they know it's their code. They're, they're, they're trying to throw
0: you off the scent. And you know This whole time that you know exactly where it is. You know
1: exactly where it is. So it stops the finger point, which is a beautiful thing because a lot of IT organizations can be fairly toxic. You know, infrastructure people don't like developers, developers don't like the DBAs, and DBAs don't like anybody. Um, but with this, it will tell you, okay, well, somebody will go, I think the server's slow, and somebody can go back No, no, it's code, it's it's line 60 in this file in this particular microservice,
0: right? So well, what fun is that if you're a network guy though and you could blame storage, you know, it takes a lot of fun. The the network. Game. <laughs> <laughs> it's never, <laughs> it's never the network. It's never anyone. No, I mean that's funny because. I've been dealing like literally with finger pointing my entire life,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I remember when I was at Cisco and they uh, introduced hyperconverged infrastructure. Right, and everybody thought it was a crap buzzword, but I said no. It it shrinks down so the compute, the storage, and the network person all becomes one person. No more finger pointing, and that's just right. you know. But now this takes it to, takes it on steroids and a level that I can't even. Comprehend
1: anymore, right? You know, obviously. So, so story time, right? So I, I was the IT operations manager for a very large logistics company, where we had a grand total of four people in IT uh, infrastructure, we had a bunch of bunch of, you know, help desk, but we there was 30 or 40 developers, right. And uh, every time somebody released code, Amazingly, the network went down, or something else, and it wasn't never the network.
0: It was not to never- pause. Uh, not to pause, real quick. Uh, I got to go. Release code was code word for uh, I had to go to the bathroom, and right. where I used to uh, a, okay. in a former employment place of mine.
1: Well, it it, it it and similar to going to the bathroom. Sometimes the code is absolute shit. So,
0: uh, and and that <laughs> I didn't want to say it was a number two reference, but uh, yeah, it sure was. There, there you go.
1: So you know they'd say, oh, well, the servers are really acting slow, and you look at it, it's like processors at like four percent the rams at 25 percent. you're looking at the network it's like it's spiking like mad but i don't know why right and you start to dig into like god what was that Wireshark or something like that back in the day and you start reading you're like why are, is the tabular data stream which is a direct query from a client server app or something right to the database who the hell wrote that that doesn't make any sense you're pulling the, literally you can see like star select star from star and populate it but who wrote that? Do you, you know, like some junior developer? Yes, it was. Right. And meanwhile, you know, you're like, oh my God, is the copper gonna melt out of the ceiling? It might, you know. Right. And uh, you know, so was there anything wrong with the network? No. But but the 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 back and forth querying was was astronomical. You're trying to pull, you know, you got a thousand people in the building, they're all trying to pull a 50 gig database <laughs> all at the same time. Every time they click a drop
0: down box, right?
1: Right. But finding that was painful this you know exactly when it happened
0: right So i'm just curious because randy we've interviewed like from tech elevator to grand circus to all these people putting out you know 16-week boots do you i mean this is a shot in the dark probably for you and a made-up stat but what percentage of broken code or bad code is done by those junior devs because i don't want to blame them because they're they're one two three years on the job right it's you know obviously you got to learn as you go but, you know, we're seeing a lot of companies bringing on these people because they're such short handed on uh, dev talent. So is there a, you know, the percentage, okay. of, percentage of errors by the by the, the by the newbies? Is there is that a thing or is it just a uh, just a not heart?
1: necessarily just newbies either. Um, the stat I think I saw recently was even your best developers for every thousand lines of code. There's somewhere between 50.000. Or five and 50 errors for every thousand lines of code, just on average, right? Nobody writes perfect code. They just don't um, because you don't know what downstream effects it might have, especially as you start to debulkanize your deployments using microservices. Microservices are fantastic. You get to make everything horizontal as opposed to vertical, and you get to deploy a lot faster, but you don't know necessarily if this call here broke something else in some different microservice either. And so that's where you need things like telemetry and breadcrumbs, right? Telemetry will tell you, you know, we we call it kind of like the blast radius too. Like, okay, if I did this and it destroyed this, this, and this, it's like how many people are really affected, right? And the other thing you look at too is developers are starting to try to do these things called feature flags where they'll throw a beta out there for a certain group of people and they'll flip that switch. Or, okay, the beta users get this. Things blow up and they want to flip, flip it back. Like, like launch Darkli um, does a lot of that stuff, and it's fantastic. We integrate within with it. But that's a way that you can quickly throw out some code and see if there's problems. And if there is, just roll back. But you're going to have problems. Everybody has problems. You just may not know it right away. And especially if somebody's not using that particular feature. Maybe it's something that's set there for, you know, in a deploy or a version for two or three versions, now people are finally starting to use it now that you realize there's a problem.
0: Right, right. Interesting. I'm like, I got a million questions and I'm stumped all at the same time. I, uh, I'm i like, again, I always look at this, why isn't was this done before? Everything in IT, I always come up with when you see stuff, like where was this, you know? Uh, right. 15 20 years ago
1: there, there are some there are some people dabbling in in a similar space to us like Sentry or Bugsnap do something similar they're more monitoring uh, they're less uh, automation and and they're not AI driven per se and there's some that will do like signatures um, but again you have to know what you're looking for to find it um, some of the traditional APMs are starting to do something similar as well but they just don't have the the AI uh, to compete. Um, Now, think about this, too, right? What we do extremely well is grouping. I mentioned we do fingerprinting. So we know exactly we, we, you know, hash it out. But we know exactly this particular problem is related to all these errors that all happen at the same time. So alert fatigue is real. If you see the same error come through a million times, are you going to pay attention to it? At some point in time, your brain just turns off. I don't want to look at that. So we group them together. And a lot of that has to do with the way our AI works.
0: That's like also rubbing. It's like when we do phishing tests and uh, we get to rub people's nose in the proverbial uh, dog doo-doo. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you, cl- Why'd you click on this? It's, it's, so this like signals out. I guess it's good for, you know, if, 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 if all of it's coming from three people um, that tells you that you need to start training, you know, or, or have a discussion or, you know what I mean? instead of just still continuing. Yeah. I could, right. Like my brain's turning hundred miles an hour, just on things that you can do in like, in terms of, you know, getting people on the same page, you know, taking them aside, you know, right.
1: Uh, coming, coming from pivotal labs before this, I'm a huge proponent of peer peer programming, especially when you have new people, right. You sit them next to one of the senior developers. They both work on the same code. You rotate, you learn, um, that that's a massive thing that we really don't do. As developers and IT people, and as, as a whole, um, we're all the smartest people in the room. Just ask us; we'll tell you that, right? You, you, every every person you meet is the smartest person, at, at least in their own mind, right? Mm-hmm. We have this this, for lack of a better term, I think we have this geek bravado. Like I can figure it out. I'm super smart. I'll, you know, I can do this alone. No, you can't. Right? Everybody needs help.
0: Has that gone just, away? Because I, I, I used to always make fun of, you know, Dave and a few other people about that. Like, you'd never you, – because, you, you know, you're A, you're protecting – there's two things. One is you're protecting your uh, career because if you know it, no one else does. They have to call you. Um, the other one is we just saw – I just saw an infrastructure stack, and it was such a jarbled piece of mess, crap, toilet, then I'm like, there's no. The only reason this person did it is so they can. There's because no one else could decipher what they put together, and they're trying to do this to protect themselves. I think is that all gone now? Like I, I, I think, think so. Is I, it
1: still? I think it's just as prevalent because, I mean, think about it. You're just one bad quarter away from getting laid off in a lot of. I mean, a, a lot of companies. Sure. And so if no one else knows what you did and they can't figure it out, I mean, you sort of have built-in job security. You might be a jerk about it, but hey. Yeah. You might have, um, but I'll tell you right now, the worst thing for me was being on call. I hated being on call. Um, especially if I was the only person who knew how to do something because they didn't have enough budget to hire backup.
0: I have a friend that just got a, a, off on call. I think 22 years. He was on call. Right. It was like for him, it was like the greatest vacation you could ever give him as a human being. Right.
1: I, I got called. I would, I, and granted, I wasn't even on call. I know I fielded a phone call on my anniversary i know or, or my, my uh my honeymoon excuse me um i know i took a I, I took a phone call on a charter between or charter boat between uh saint thomas and saint john's i mean my, my wife at one point in time looked at me and Goes, you, you're on call like a doctor but you don't get paid like a doctor and i'm like no, <laughs> yeah I don't. you know like should i throw this phone into the ocean now or should i just do it for you you know
0: right yeah that's the one like, you know my wife's in medical and just the like, there's no holidays, there's no birthdays, there's, there's there, there, it doesn't exist. Like, I couldn't imagine, you know, three in the morning right now. That's what I'm always worried about is three in the morning. If somebody calls me, I'll never answering the phone. Yeah, like, an I emergency or something.
1: When, when my youngest was born, he's now 16, right? I know I literally unplugged every phone in the house for probably the first year of his life when I would go home. This is before <laughs> cell phones, I mean, as prevalent as they are. Yeah, I, mean, I literally pull the cords. Because I didn't want some some guy calling me at three in the morning when they should have called the help desk because they happen to have my home phone number. Yep, yep. It was something that was completely uh, <laughs> mundane.
0: So, how did you get your start in IT? I'm just I was like talking to guys around my age. I think it's always funny to me.
1: Um, <laughs> I I went to school for broadcasting. The, oh, geez, at, at the University of Cincinnati, and uh, I was editing. Uh, pilot training videos, and uh, I was one of the few guys, and also, by the way, I worked at Inside Edition. That was one of my internships, and I was the only guy who knew how to run an Avid, which which is a video processing software. And so I was working a lot with computers, and I realized I really hate media, <laughs> right? Because it's all subjective, and computers, it either doesn't, it works, or it doesn't work, you know, it's, very, it's less subjective. And so, at some point in time, I um, I cut over from doing video editing and and uh, and began uh, working on computers. In fact, my first job was doing AS400s. Believe it or not,
0: they still exist. Can you believe it?
1: I know it's it's funny. I, I remember you know meeting one of my peers then, and he says, "Yeah, these things won't be around in five years. Everything's going to move over to a PC."
0: <laughs> they uh, they're not just still around they still are running they're still in that same broom closet they're mm-hmm. still on a shitty network that hasn't been re-iped in 10 years um and they then they run you know yeah. we i'm dealing now with clients that we're, we're swapping tapes and i'm like what year is this mm-hmm. um, but that's the way they run their shop and i'm not gonna argue okay. do, do
1: you know what ibm's biggest uh growth product is in the cloud Right now? Front. Yeah.
0: Probably AS, moving AS400s to the cloud, yeah. It's
1: their AS400 cloud, or I think they're calling it their iCloud. Yeah, yeah
0: I got introduced to that well, two, three years ago. My friend was doing that, and he goes, yeah, hey, do you know anyone that's got an AS400? We can put it in the cloud now. I go, people will, like, be breaking down your door. Like, You're going to be president's club for the next three years if this word gets out. Um, right? like Yeah, now looking at IBM's doing it. Yeah, it makes total sense.
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's you think about it, it's like, why... Most businesses will think, "Well, why would I want to rewrite this app? It just works, right?" Would, but, but at some point in time, the support model for those applications are going to be a seance. You know, the, the people who wrote the code are read, long since retired at this point, or dead. So, good luck.
0: Well, there's also people that have you know their their core business app is 25 years old, mm-hmm. and they've mapped fancy to it. Uh, but it's still that, you know, 88 Mustang going down the highway. You might have put a, you know, brand new Porsche body on it, but it's still that, you know, underneath that engine. Um, you know, but, but you, what are you going to do? You can't scrap it. It runs your business.
1: Right. It's it's the business logic, right? It would take somebody to have to divine what that business logic is or rewrite it into something more modern, which there's a lot to be said to do that. But a lot of businesses are like, well, it's good enough. It works. You know,
0: you yeah, you have to think about it. But I like not gonna the lie.
1: analogy there, especially being from Detroit.
0: Oh, totally. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I got introduced to the 300 baud modem when I was, I like, think, 13, like 86, mm-hmm. 87. And, you know, no, I didn't get a phone until I was 22, 23, maybe. So it have been what, 95, 96, 94? Um, you know, and you didn't text until you got the first BlackBerry. For the most part, so it was the three three tap texting. You know, we you didn't even bother. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. it was like a it was like a quarter of text too. If you yep. decided, I, I to, I'll be honest with you. If I I love as much as I love technology, like all the I'm so there's so much stuff I need to do right now, and I'm so preoccupied that I I almost want to go back like 15 years. Like there's certain part of me that. Just wishes I didn't need to check email 62 times a day. No doubt. Like, I was telling my daughter there's a, there was this weird thing. Like, if I call you, Dave, and you don't answer, maybe you call me tomorrow morning.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: no issue, zero issue, even if I text you. But I remember when I got my first beeper, and you would like meet a girl at the bar and give her your beeper number. And if you didn't call in 15 minutes, you were done. She would, like, I go, there was this weird. I used to have a, like a car full of quarters that I have to stop at a gas station or a Kroger to make a call. If somebody beat me, I would literally like have a panic attack and have to go to a pay phone because they would get angry with you. It was just weird.
1: Yeah. I, I, I had that self or I had the beepers too back in the day, which is funny, but I remember my first cell phone too. I think I had a grand total of 15 minutes of talk time <laughs> like 35 bucks a month. I mean, 15 minutes of talk time. So I would have people just say, call me, and then hang up because I'll recognize yep. the phone number and then I'll, I'll walk over where like when I'm working and I'll just pick up the, the landline and call you back.
0: So that like, what I would always
1: like, call fever.
0: if I needed to get picked up, if I was a kid, I'd mm-hmm. always call 1-800-COLLECT or whatever, the whatever it was at the time.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I would invite you have an incoming call from, and it was mom I'm at the bowling alley, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So that was our, you know, if you didn't have quarters, that was your, your, free way to, 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 you know, make phone calls anyway.
1: Yeah. There, there was a, a, a large portion of my youth, especially in college was try to avoid, uh, avoid long distance calls. So, uh, so it, it just, was a product called NetMeeting. I think it came out in windows 98 and I used that to death of all my friends, you know, cause I had a lot of friends abroad or hell just like, you know, an hour away and somehow that was long distance.
0: So uh, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, my first modem went in the garbage for this reason. My uh, buddy's older brother got a hold of a free code, uh square kitty, and ran it overnight. And we woke up in the morning to this top matrix printer of all these seven-digit codes that you could get. It was free AT&T, employee, long-distance mm-hmm. codes. And so we, our favorite BBSs were in 248. So we would use these codes until they were gone. And mm-hmm. they would use it again. We, you know, there was no um, mirroring VPNs or bouncing IP. You know what I mean? And um, I got my dad got a bill, I think, for about two grand in back long distance for these BBSs. And he, you know, you ever see the videos where the parents put guns through the kids electronics? Yeah. If we had a gun in the house, he probably would have. But otherwise, it just went in the garbage. So, like, literally, I didn't touch anything technology for like a year and a half because of that. Um, but those, you know, those are the days, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, think about it now. They, had someone, did they just come out with a thing going? We were going to ten-digit dialing. I'm like, who doesn't? My uh, yeah, it my just changed. Yeah,
1: yeah. My my mom's what, 77, 78, somewhere in that range, and she called me freaking out.
0: Have you heard about this?
1: Like, <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't affect me. at
0: all. Well, when's the last time you saw it? was it the uh, Empire? Uh, call me at Tyler eight seven one hundred. We do good work. Those commercials were going on into the two thousands, right? You know, like the first two numbers were were a letter. We're like, wait a minute! You're like, this is from the like from the early seventies, and you're still doing commercials for this now?
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. Some of, some of that stuff still held out, but I mean, I, I just I mean, are you gonna literally? Hey, give me give me your ten digits instead of seven digits? Right. I mean. I mean, that was the pickup line back in the day. Just need the seven, right? Yep. Now or it's just need the ten. Or There's 90. even a boy you're band song snap
2: in late 90s snap. with they that line, snap. hit me with your seven digits.
1: Right, right. I think I think <laughs> it's the few snap now, but whatever. Yeah.
0: Well, remember uh, the movie Swingers with John Favreau and Vince Vaughn? And it was like, we always joke that if the movie was in Detroit, they go, hey, is she 586 or 248? And he's like, she's 248. Like, nice. Yeah. That was like a line.
1: <laughs> Not a 313. No. Yeah.
0: Well now you get a Google phone three one three, you know, because you want to say that you're from Detroit and you're not.
1: Mm-hmm. You know.
0: That's uh that's the thing. Um, I think I,
1: I think I have like five different Google voice numbers, so yeah, whatever.
0: I have I've one moved. I've never logged into. It could have it could have a thousand voicemails on it. I have no idea. Yeah. And they wonder why they're running out of area codes because idiots like us. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I've moved so many times, it's like I just get a, I just pick up a new area code every time I'm somewhere. Right. Or an international number, one or the other.
0: There's a lot of people I know that move to like New Orleans or like different cities and they still keep their 248 or, you know, i still call them on the same number. Like whatever. Yeah, it doesn't really
2: mean much these days, it especially doesn't. with portable phones. And
0: How many numbers do you know? You don't know any?
2: No. I know, I, know- I,
1: I know all my old friends' phone numbers from when I was a kid. I still have those memorized. They're all in the back of my head.
0: I know my best friend's house number. I don't know his cell phone number. Like the house he grew up in, number. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like crap, like that. I think all I know is like my my parents' number and like my wife's cell phone.
1: Do you yeah. still you still remember your your locker uh, locker code? From- I remember my beeper it?
0: number is four zero nine nine five nine three. Yeah, that I don't remember. Yeah, the locker I don't know the locker. Are, are, I put a lock on my locker my junior senior year.
2: I still remember the code. That's I don't funny. remember my locker number, let alone the code for it. Yeah. No.
0: That, that was always a weird thing on Gross Point Blank where he, re- he remembered his locker and then he remembered where he put the joint.
1: Yeah. <laughs> great, great Detroit movie.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it wasn't. I think it was filmed here for like three minutes, though. <laughs> I think they shot the scene on Lakeshore, but everything else was, I think, L.A. or something. Right. On. Sounds about right. So what's your, uh, you know, being in sales, you just think it's taking people at the lunch. I love it. You're so, you're so, uh, some of my IT friends. What's been your biggest challenge? Is it the, you know, the relationship side? Is it the trying to speak English side versus getting too technical? What's the, uh, what's been your uh, biggest challenge? The, the,
1: the two biggest challenges for me moving into sales from from a technical spec. Um, number one, uh, I'm, I'm truly a geek at heart, and most geeks kind of want to be left alone. And uh, it's it's me scheduling time to f- pick up the phone and call people because I'm I'm much I'm much more apt at just sending an email, right? Being a geek, but I have to force myself to send you know pick up the phone and and talk. Um, and then the other thing is is a lot of times up until really I worked at VMware or here. Um, I was more technical than a lot of my SEs, and so I just, like, I would hear them say something and cringe, and they say, all right, I'm going to take over the technical talk, and I I learned to stop doing that. But really, it comes down to having really great sales engineers, and I'm I'm fortunate. I have really wonderful ones, uh, both when I was at at Pivotal slash VMware and and here at Rollbar. IBM and Verizon, it was a hit or miss but they laid off so many people that we had great ones and then they were gone. And then I would have a good one. And then he was gone and I have one on. And it wasn't great. And he would be gone. So it's uh but yeah, the combination of, of having to pick up the phone and, um, and try not to be technical, which is,
0: which is See, mine. Mine is, and it's, it has been for 15 years is people ghosting me. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I remember writing a blog in the early days of it and the D maybe 07, 08, 09 saying, it was called "Just Say No," mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't mind doing all the pre work. I don't mind writing the diagrams. I don't mind putting the proposals together. That's all part of my life. And I go, I'm just please, for the love of God, if it's not where you want to be or go or you did something else, just say no. It's right. kind of like you know when I when you buy a car and you buy a Ford, why didn't you buy you know when you went to the Chevy dealer, why didn't you buy the Chevy? And you're like, I don't know. Sometimes. You just make a decision and it's kind of the, just where you went. Maybe you like the cup of coffee better at that dealership. You know what I mean? But just go, hey, I bought it. I bought the Ford. Okay, right. cool. Thank you. You know, done. I, right. Done. I'm good. You got my number if you ever need me. I'm around. Right. You know, and that yeah. to me, that's that's that happens to me even today. Like it's happening now. You know, it, it's insane. Like I, you know, that's my one. Like, I don't under. Like, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to ask you a hundred questions why. I respect your decision. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, the other thing with that too is right. There's no reason to not have or continue a relationship even if you went with the other. Sure. Product. You know. It. You know. If you meet somebody, they're cool and they're smart. I mean, there's no reason not to keep them in your rolodex. I'm going to use an old term there. Or you know because. You never know. First of all, this is an industry where they, I mean, what's the average time in in a role? It's like two or three years. You know, you never know when that really smart person that you meet might be looking for somebody and you're out of a job or vice versa. Mm -hmm. There's no reason not to network. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, You never really want to burn a bridge unless you napalm it. I mean, there's a reason to napalm that bridge. Yeah. But, you know, again, a jerk or, or they're, you know, they're doing something illegal. Yeah. Napalm that, that relationship. Otherwise, there's no reason to burn a bridge ever.
0: I've never, yeah, that's the thing, you know, and I never want to. Somebody gave me some advice and they were like, set that expectation up front and make, you know, I'm like, eh, it's a, that's a weird, you know, if any reason you want to tell me no, tell me. You know, and it's just like that eh, feels weird. Like you know, you think this process is natural at this point, but you know, apparently, you know that that you know again, that's everything else. I don't want to say easy, you know, but like the quarterbacking thing and all. But yeah, it's the ghosting, man. I don't, you know.
1: Uh, if the funny thing is, if you like, if if you look back at somewhere, especially like LinkedIn, right, and you look it back to somewhere in relationships, people I've worked with, some of them go back 25 years, 26 years. And we worked at multiple different companies together. Yeah. Right. You know, this person was a really good sequel guy. I want to pull him in. This guy's a really good Cisco guy. Really pull, pull, pull him in. This guy's a phenomenal developer. Right. You know, you always, there's always a cycle back through and even in sales. Right. Um, you know, I, I remember this guy, he was trying to sell me sand equipment or it, it actually wasn't SAN. It was like back then, I think it was like ice guzzy, which was brand new and kind of scary. Right. But he was ridiculously smart. I just didn't like his product, and um, it, we end up working together later on because he was ridiculously smart. This the product he was trying to sell, I didn't think was phenomenal. And I think I actually pulled him in on a consulting engagement at some point.
0: You know, right? It's,
1: you know, there's it's always a reason to to keep those relationships because you know people I think are generally pretty genuine.
0: Well, there's. I mean, I'm still friends with a lot of people I'm from like HP days. Like this is going mm-hmm. back you know, eight years now that I've I haven't been there. Um, still talk to Cisco people. I haven't been there in four. Um, you know what I mean? It's just, again, you never, you know, I still have drinks with the guys I worked with for a company that I was there for six months, you know, but I'm still tight with those guys, you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I agree with you. Never burn the bridge. So, Hey, uh, I won't uh, keep any longer. Dave Spee's roll bars, rollbar.com. We'll put your uh, LinkedIn on, on show notes. Um, I can't thank you enough for the for the time. It sounds like you guys are going to blow up if you haven't already, but I uh, wish you nothing but continued success. and The best of luck.
1: I appreciate it. Hopefully we're getting our Series C funding soon. And again, you can sign up uh, for a free trial of Rollbar on uh, Rollbar.com. Feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn if you want a demo or you want some advice on how how to deploy. We're happy to do it.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to wrap things up for 4:15. 15 uh, On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.